Welcome to The Refuse Project. The Refuse Project is a place where you can have meaningful conversation in a safe place. We are your host. I am Pastor David. We have Pastor Caesar. Yo. And the bearded wonder, James. James, yes, that's me. Right. We have a great show for today. We're going to talk about uh, birds, Robbie, Zacharias, and then uh, one of my one of my heroes, to tell you the truth. We have Pastor Ron here with us today. What, and, what? Uh, yeah. So he's the man here today, and I know we're going to um, have some good conversation and some different things today, so we're looking forward to it. So let's just jump right into it. How's y'all's week been? Been good so far. Can't complain at all. Getting stuff done. Yeah. Been real good and busy here at the church. Uh, fast is going great. So yeah, we're doing real good. So James, we just talked about a little bit. You got your album cover done. Yeah. I'm um, looking forward to seeing that. Hopefully we can do that after Shout the podcast. Shout out to Caesar. Oh, yeah. and my oh. wife. Oh, and, and, and Nikki. And Nikki back Yeah, there. very good. We got Nikki here doing some different photos and for social media and stuff for us. So yeah. um, when, do you, when, when is there like a, a, a we date? We just picked a date yeah. like two days ago, November 6th. Friday, November 6th is when we're putting out the album officially. Very so, good. So you're going to be our special it. guest that week. And <laughs> sure. We're going to talk about the music, maybe share a little bit of the music. And I don't know how good. special it'll be since I'm here all the time. Well, but. <laughs> as long as we put special in front of your name, then yeah, it yeah. is special. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? Then we just jump right into the culture corner. Okay. So I found, uh, so the story I got today is about, man, where did the name of that bird go? Oh, it's, it's a, a Another rose. Bird. Yeah. He's yeah, on the bird. That's stuff. true, man. I didn't even realize that it's two weeks in a row. What can I say? It's a rose breasted uh, gross beak, I believe is how you say it. I'm sure somebody out there knows how to say Disgusting. it. Disgusting. Yeah, gross, gross beak. Anyway, the reason this bird is interesting is because they found it in Pennsylvania. Yes, in Pennsylvania earlier this week. And it is, the technical word for it is a gynandromorph. Gynandromorph, I believe is how you say it. All right, all right. And uh, that means that it is half male, half female. So on, I think it was the right side of the body, it's a male bird. And on the left side of the body, it's a female What? Bird. But like physically So different. this has happened over the last couple of years. He didn't like, like, what no, people no. were calling him male, so he was just like, I'll trick y'all. No, no, no. He's the real deal. He's the half deal. and half, just Ooh. living it up. Man. And, well, or sh- I don't know. I said he. I don't know what he is. <laughs> it's, it's. it's living it up. And uh, so the reason this was like a big deal is because these things are apparently super, super rare. The last time they found one, it was uh, 15 years ago. All right. So uh, all the people that found it, they were like well, they're pro- super. I mean, they probably don't like recreate, produce very. Well, so they don't know hardly anything themselves? about it. I don't them. know. Well, they don't know. So they don't know hardly anything about them because they so hard to find them. Well, and then... Uh, maybe with that peacock removal from last week's story. Yeah, maybe know. that's got a little something maybe to do with it. I don't know. Putting them pe- I think they did move the peacocks up north. I just whatever. <laughs> I don't know if it was Pennsylvania north, but... Uh, anyway, it was just interesting. They only find them like every 15 years. Uh, they don't know much about them, as in... So they don't know if it... Does it act like a male most of the time or a female? As in, does it do like the male songbird dances and try to attract a female? Does it lean into one or the other? Or- so, but aren't, aren't birds like the the male or the the pretty ones and the females are not the not as bright? So does he have like half of them yeah, is so brighter on, than the other? I don't know enough about this species of bird to say it right, but so one of them has 
I think it's the male has like a really colorful chest. So when you look at the bird right down the middle, it's like bright on one side. And then on the other side, it's got like the female chest. Wow. And yeah, it was just a weird looking bird. That's interesting. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure you saw this somewhere? I saw it on the internet, so you know it's true. It's true. Man, what kind of a deal is this? We're talking about a bird. I, I know some people like that. <laughs> but so scientifically, when the people are like that, they're called hermaphrodites, which uh-huh. that's a real thing. Uh, a very, very rare thing where they get born with... Every 15 years. Very yeah, no, rare. No, no. Very rare. But so it, had to do, it has to do with whenever the egg gets fertilized. Uh, I think with the bird, it said two sperm fertilize the same egg, and the egg has like two nuclei for some reason instead of one, so it ends up developing them Facts. both. And it's like Facts. this whole weird thing. Usually, I don't think they live. Okay, very so I only have one request from this point uh, forward: stay off the bird website. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to bird website. Just a lot of stuff's happening in the world of the birds right yeah, now. The birds are on you. I don't know what I'm getting into here today, guys. This is crazy. I'm really uh, glad you're here, though. <laughs> we, we brought you to level us back up. Oh, you know? Yeah, okay. So that's my talk. Why don't you <laughs> bring us back down, Yeah, Caesar. bring us we, back we, down we, to earth, Caesar. Well, I'm going to bring you way down because this story definitely is a downer. Um, but uh, we wanted to bring you this story a couple weeks ago. It, it was brought to light at the end of September, so everything is still uh, relatively fresh on it. But it uh, it has to do with uh, famed and uh, and... Just departed uh, Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias. Um, uh, after his death, he had a battle with cancer. But uh, after his death, it came to light a couple weeks ago that uh, he's, uh, y- you know, he, uh, some allegations were raised about uh, uh, some some sexual allegations. Uh, apparently, he was a business owner as well, other than a pol- an, uh, an apologist, a business owner of a of a massage parlor, and. Uh, and a couple of employees, three employees to be exact right now, that's what they have um, on a document here, is that, uh, yeah, he uh, he would expose himself to them and pleasure himself in front of their uh, presence and all that. And again, these are all allegations, but um, anybody that has ever read anything from Ravi Zacharias or has known of his ministry, that just doesn't add up. Um Ten about ten years ago, there was also some shady stuff going on with him as well, um, uh, concerning uh, concerning this uh, this lady that was uh, a donor to his ministry, um, and, and apparently it was like a sexting kind of thing. But then they settled out of court. Nothing was ever. Uh, uh, RZIM is his is his ministry. Uh, they denied it. They denounced all that. They said it was an extortion thing that was going on. That was ten years ago. But now, as they were, you know, as as uh, these things are coming uh, to light after his death, um, there's just a lot of evidence that points in a in, in, in not so favorable ways. And again, RZIM has uh, has denounced all of that. And uh, and then um, the Ravi Zacharias was a part of a. Um, uh, a part of an, an accrediting um, association, CMA, gigantic organization. And uh, they recently, 
and this was like in the last week, they recently said that we're going to we're going to launch our own investigation, secondary investigation, because we believe that we have to hold our leaders, no matter who they are, no matter how famous they are, uh, they have to have some accountability on them. And uh, and, and we're going to do this because it's right. And uh, so anyway, just a lot of touch and go kind of things with this right now. But I just wanted to bring it to the listeners' attention and, uh, you know, just be praying for all of that. Um, Ravi Zacharias, I know he's been, for me personally, he's been just a wellspring of information. I I, I love his books, his teachings, his sermons, um, just a, a, a teacher, uh, a teacher of teachers. And yeah. uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, but, you know, once, once this kind of stuff is released out into the court of public opinion, people already make their mind up especially because of, you know, the failures of people that, that in ministry, the history and those kind of things. And uh, and those that already hate church and Christianity, you know, they're going to jump on that bandwagon. See, I told you they're all the same. And then, uh, yeah, so it's just a mess. Yeah, it's definitely a significant story. So we definitely want to talk about it a little bit. And we'll, we'll as this progresses, we'll, we'll come back around to it and give some more facts. Um, one of the things that really kind of discouraged me was that his business partner in this the spa um said that he wished he would have stopped it earlier like he already knew about it mm. um so that was kind of disappointing and then he also said Ravi also said before he passed that he had built this empire because I guess his ministry was like a 25 million dollar ministry a year he was making you know half a million dollars a year or whatever he was doing a lot of good things but he said something that just really kind of shook me from the inside being a minister and stuff that he said that he felt like he built this thing as his ministry expanded. He, he built something that was isolating him from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get into, you get to that point as a, as a minister and you got the world looking at you um, and you're say, you're going through some, uh, some of these things that, that are sinful things in your life. It's really hard to reach out to somebody because um, you could lose your platform, you could lose your ministry. So what happens is they just kind of try to deal with this stuff themselves. And, and we know if we try to deal with sin ourselves, it just kind of grows in the background and grows into the background until something uh, tragic like this happens. And um, it's just a terrible thing. I was, I was reading some stuff about the, one of the young ladies, she said it just totally sent her off um, from believing in God for, uh, for many, many years. And, and locally, uh, locally, she got into another church, and they've really kind of helped her come back to these things. And uh, so it's just kind of one of those um, mis, you know, misfortunate things for the, these ladies, if if it's true. Um, the only the only other thing that I read about this is there were some things that he apologized for back in 2015 or something that was saying that he was a, a professor at Oxford. Yeah. Some credentials, some things, credential yeah. things there that, that inaccuracies. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't true. So uh, it's one of those things like the higher that you put yourself on the pedestal, that the better you want yourself to look, look like. Um, so there was definitely some, some things that were there um, that were unfortunate. So we're just going to keep an eye on this and, and, you know, hopefully, uh, these ladies, if it was true or not, they can find the healing that they need. Um, and then, you know, this won't crush the, you know, the Christian community so much where people turn their back on God totally. Yeah. Yeah. Rough stuff. But yeah. we'll follow that story. Very, very good. All right. Well, you know what? I, I tell you, I'm I'm super excited about this, this uh, podcast myself because... We all have a different relationship with with Pastor Ron, and he's here today, and we're going to talk to him a little bit 
Um, he is one of my personal heroes. He's invested in my life. Uh, I went through his ordination class. Uh, he just really was able to um, speak into my life, um, even when I, even when I don't think he realized that he was speaking in my life. And he's just one of those God, one of those guys that God put in my life earlier, earlier on in my younger years. My dad wasn't a Christian, you know. He was an alcoholic and different things like that. And I always looked to Pastor Ron as that's what a Christian man looked like because I didn't have that in my home. And so I'm just super excited to have have you here today and just to kind of talk to you about whatever whatever happens, maybe some history of what's going on. I know uh, my family and your family go way back in the church uh, two names ago, probably, or uh, some different things like that. So how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I mean, uh, I didn't know about uh, Zacharias. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm learning some things here today myself. Yeah. You know, it is important that... Uh, that you live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. I mean, you know, it just seems to be so many uh, Christian leaders, especially those on TV and so forth, why do they do what they do? Uh, because you really do affect a lot of people, you know, people like Jimmy Swaggart, yeah. Jim Baker and all those guys. I, I, I know anybody could do that, but as leaders... Man, we got to be very, very careful. And we got to understand that, uh, uh, you know, people follow us as we follow Christ. If we do things like that, then uh, they shouldn't be following us. Paul said, you follow me as I'm following Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've always tried to, you know, be a man of character. And uh, hopefully that's, uh, you know, because people do look look at you. Yeah. And they always want to find something, you know, that you've done wrong. And so I'm sure, I'm certainly not perfect just to ask my wife. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I can truthfully say, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think I've ever cheated anybody out of any money. <laughs> that sort of thing. Right. I try to do everything because I know God's looking. Uh-huh. I know, you know, not only other people but are, are watching, but the Lord is watching. So we got to be careful about those things. Yeah, I think especially as leaders, right? The, the leaders, I mean, the, the word tells us the Lord's going to hold us accountable, you know, for the yeah. people that we lead and different things like that. But not just that, but the people are looking at us as um, they're putting us on pedestals, even though that we're we're just like them. So they're ho- also holding us to uh, more accountable accountable for the, the stuff that we we're doing. Right, right. And then you know, uh, uh, Pastor Ron, um, I came. I believe it was right in the year that you retired, maybe a year after that. But you're you're my pastor's pastor. You're you were my wife's pastor for so long as and all that. And I remember when it, when it, with my entrance into the church. Uh, uh, one of the stories that I would I would hear from many people was, oh yeah, I remember, you know we remember going on a trip uh, to Alaska with Pastor Ron, and then as we were over there, somebody just says, hey, 
Pastor Ron, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, just, and, and I've heard multiple stories like that in different parts of the world and you never know who's watching. I was, uh, a couple years ago, I was, I had a, uh, Elam hoodie on, right. And a big old Elam logo on the back. I was in HEB in, in Laporte. And then, and then, uh, some older guy, uh, he's just walking by shopping. He stops me and he says, Pastor Ron. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, I, I, this is what it is for me. You know, I I go to these, you know, the, my pool business or whatever. I go in these people's backyard and for whatever reason, you know, church comes up or whatever comes up. And so I said, you know, I, I go eat them. Oh, Elam, he Pastor Ron sang at my wedding. Yeah. You know, he was, Pastor Ron was the original wedding singer back in the day. Uh, I've literally been on the other side of the world on like Israel trips and and been walking around the streets of Jerusalem or whatever, and somebody on the street say, hey, Pastor Ron over there. They say, come over here. We got a deal for you. They know he likes the deals. Yeah. Let, me, let me tell you, I was uh, over on one of the trips uh, to Israel, and, uh, you know, they've got uh, the ruins of some of those cities. The city of Dan, you know, the Bible says uh, Israel's from Dan to Beersheba, you know, but Dan... Uh, and it's just uh, ruins. And I was up there and with our group, and they were going to go all the way to the top. I don't know if you was on that trip or not, uh, James, but uh, my sister Janine and I, we, we got tired about halfway up, and I'd been up there before anyway. So oh, we yeah. just we just sat down on a, a, a rock there, actually, about halfway up to these ruins. And in a few minutes, here comes a group down. And and uh, one of the guys in the group says, Pastor Ron, <laughs> I couldn't believe it in the middle of Israel in mm -hmm. a ruins up there. Somebody saw me. And I was in uh, I was in Alaska, uh, oh years and years ago, and uh, I just decided I was going to take a walk down a river there in uh, in uh, oh what's uh, anyway. What's a big town in Alaska? Ketchikan. No, uh, no, no. Anchorage. 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 And uh, anyway, I was walking along this, this trail. They've got trails, bike trails, walking trails all over Anchorage. And I was looking at the salmon uh, coming up the river and so forth. And here comes a kid on a bicycle. And he says, Pastor Ron, I said, <laughs> I said, wow. where? He said, I used to go to your youth and your youth on, you know, we used to have it on Friday night. Yeah. I was part of that old Friday night. But it is true. I've been all over the world, mm -hmm. seemed like people. And that's just another thing there. Hey, who would have thought that somebody would have recognized me out on a trail in Anchorage, Alaska? Right. But that means you, you just got to. Watch what you're doing right. all the time, yeah. The easiest way to do it is be the same person everywhere. That's what if you got to do. If you're on the stage or if you're on a bike trail in Alaska, <laughs> be the same person. But I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's more of a good thing. It just shows that yeah. you're able to reach that many people all yeah. over the world, you know? Yeah, yeah we were talking with, uh, with, a, with some of the young people uh, just this last week about the struggles that—, that it's a, it takes sometimes it takes a really long time for your Christian life to look like your work life and your home life. Yeah. And and uh, that because it, it and I don't know if you if you guys can you know echo this sentiment, but 
it, that doesn't happen overnight. It's it takes discipline to do that. You have to be the same everywhere and courage, right? Especially when you're talking about young people, it takes a lot of courage to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. Well, if, if y'all don't know who Pastor Ron is, and you might be listening from Russia because we got another listener from Russia. <laughs> Shout again. out to Russia. So Russia's coming in strong. So, Two uh, times. <laughs> yeah, so thank you, Russia. Um, but if you don't know Pastor Ron, Pastor Ron has been around since almost the church has been alive. Well, maybe not that. I mean, the church is almost 100 years old. He ain't quite that old. He's so old. He, I think his grandma knew Jesus personally. I'm sorry. Yeah. But he's been around for a long time. His mom was a part of the first church. Um, he was our pastor here at Elam Church for 30-plus years. Um, pastor, talk to us about those early days. Well, it, this church started in 1922. Actually started on a street corner over on uh, Harrisburg here in the east end of Houston. I, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't there in 1922, but... But my great-grandmother was, my daddy's grandmother. She was part of that, that first group. I think that's kind of unique yeah. because uh, my roots go all the way back to that. And then her daughter, which was my grandmother, uh, they moved over here from Louisiana, and they came to the church just a few years after it was uh, started. And then... Uh, she invited my mother to a tent revival they were having. That was in 1939. And my mother got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, anyway, that was two years before I was born. My brother was three years old at that time. But we've been in this church ever since. It's been, uh, I've, seen, I've seen it grow. My dad actually helped build uh, the church over there on 67th and Avenue in. The building's still there. Wow. It looks better now than it used to look. Whoever bought it really did some uh, upgrades on it. But, uh, yeah, this church goes back a long ways. One of the, the first churches, really, when the Holy Spirit was being poured out back then, one of the first Pentecostal churches Right. I think in Houston, actually. And that was a, uh, an effect of the um, the revival that was happening in California, and it kind of came this way, right? Yeah. Azusa. Azusa. Yeah, Azusa Street. Well, it all started, you know, in Topeka, Kansas, in, in a Bible school there. Uh, actually, on the, the, the New Year's Eve uh, in 1900. And uh, it spread from there, spread out, came to Houston, and uh, then from there, it went to, uh, you know, Azusa Street and so forth. But, yeah, our roots go back a long, long way. You know, I was thinking about the lady, Anna May, what was her name? Uh, Anna May Ruth Manning. Anna yeah. May Ruth. In 1922, the pastor of a church, right? Um, which is crazy. Which is crazy for that day and age for a woman leader, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was thinking, man, wonder, wonder how that worked and how... Uh, she started something and got men at that time to kind of follow her. Um, yeah. so well, she was an evangelist, and she was preaching on street corner, which, uh, uh, you know, I think people were doing it back then, but you, you talked about a woman evangelist. Most 
most uh, evangelists were men, pastors were men, not too many women, but she was. She had a husband and a couple of sons, I understand, from the little bit of history that I've found on the church. But uh, she started the church, and, you know, and after she started the church here, uh, I think she went to uh, hold a tent revival in uh, oh, one of the little towns around here. I don't know exactly where it was. But, you know, it wasn't cool to be a holy roller back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were living in a tent, as I understand it. And uh, some of the guys in the town, I guess it's some of the boys, went over there and set fire to the tent. And uh, they were, uh, her kids were were killed in that fire and so forth. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's quite a deal, you know. We just take it for granted today that we can serve God and worship God the way we want to, and we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, but boy, it wasn't too it wasn't too easy for some of those pioneers, especially even in this church. You know, the lady that actually started the church uh, had that tragedy in her family. Right. Wow. So we had you know Caesar just came in right after. Um, Pastor had uh, stepped down to step down, yeah. stepped over to Pastor Emeritus, not really stepped down, still, you know, really involved in our church. Um, my grandmother was part of the, the early church, which is always like to tell people because I felt like there's some good roots there, you know. Absolutely. My uncle married Aunt Faye, which is what to you? My first cousin. Your first cousin. And uh, so we've been linked in the family for a long time. And then James, this is this is James's grandfather. So there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of roots going on here. So uh, y- y- y'all got a question? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, I did, though. Whatever happened to her? I know you said her kids got killed in that fire, but whatever ended up happening to her? I, You know, I can't find out. I, I don't really know. Uh, there's a very, just very sketchy uh, history that, that yeah. I've found out. Uh, and I don't know exactly what happened to her. I've tried tried to Google it, you know, but I, I can't find out that information. Yeah, I was doing some uh, some research on, on Azusa, and I yeah. have in years past, but it's always good to go back and to see where it all started for us over here on this side. Right. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, even, even uh, 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 William Seymour, uh, uh, whenever he was in Topeka, Kansas, in that Bible school, yeah. he wasn't even allowed to sit in the classroom because yeah. of the, because they were had to be separated. Blacks weren't allowed, right? Right. So what he would do is that he he would listen to the teacher, and he was sitting out back on the porch, um, <laughs> just listening to the to, to the preacher. And then he came to Houston, and and uh, so you know, and, and and we see the the roots of our church, how it started with a with a woman, which you know they're. A woman's testimony uh, up until a certain point was never accepted in history. Um, just to see how God um, uses those that are disenfranchised, yeah, you know, uh, to to do really big moves. And 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 I know we talk a lot about the current culture and the current you know societal things that we're dealing with right now. And just want to throw out some hope out there that if you're feeling mm-hmm. disenfranchised, you are a prime candidate for the Holy Spirit to move on you. Yeah, absolutely right. That's good. So you as a, a music teacher, music runs through your blood, runs through your family's blood. 
Um, I know that we was always going to have a band as long as your your family was here. <laughs> hey, if you look at it uh, on the platform on Sunday morning, you see yeah. <laughs> you see my grandkids and my brother and and uh, son. my son leading the worship, yeah. leading the choir. Yeah, I guess we got that from my my mother. My mother was a worship leader. Uh, here at uh, when Houston Gospel Tabernacle was the name of it way back then. And I remember my mama, boy, she could sing. Uh, people on the radio don't know Glenda, but Glenda kind of reminded me of my mom. My mom could really sing. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, I had a brother. Actually, Dale is, uh, he's the oldest, and then Mama had a son named Randall. And when he was six weeks old, he died. He died of pneumonia, and that was terrible. And then uh, then I was born, and uh, a couple of years after I was born, she had another son. His name was Wade, and Wade died when he was uh, three and a half years old. Uh, I'll never forget that. We were having a revival back then. Uh, a fellow, an evangelist named Eugene Garrett was holding a revival at our church. And God had done some tremendous miracles with this guy. I think he had documented two or three people that had been raised from the dead in his ministry and so forth. Anyway, Mama went to this revival, and Daddy and I stayed home, and and Wade and I were, were playing. I, I remember we were playing... Uh, barbershop and I was acting like I was cutting his hair and stuff and then Wade started feeling bad he said he had a headache and actually started kind of breaking out in a rash and my dad thought he was getting the measles so my dad put him to bed and I was only five years old so I don't remember a whole lot of it but I remember the next morning my little brother was dead and he hadn't even been sick but just that night and uh so my mama, they took my little brother to the hospital and pronounced him dead. And my mama said, you're going to have to bring him back to the house because God's not going to take another one of my boys. Mm. And uh, so they brought him back to the house, put him on mom and dad's bed. And I remember Eugene Garrett came over and prayed for him. And mama just thought, God's going to raise him from the dead. <laughs> but that didn't happen. And after that, my mama... Uh, she had a nervous breakdown. She lost her voice. She couldn't hardly talk. And uh, so that went on for a long time. People here that knew my mom uh, realized, remembered how she talked. She had this uh, disease called spastic dysphonia. And she'd try to talk, and her vocal cords would go into a spasm, and she couldn't get the words out. Uh, 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 she talked. And that was really something. But she found a, a doctor. Actually, my sister Janine uh, found this doctor in California. Janine worked for the uh, airlines back then. She was looking at one of those magazines, and she found this doctor that they had an article on him about this spastic dysphonia. She said, that sounds like my mama. And they called this doctor and, anyway, made an appointment. They went out to California, and uh, and he operated on her. And what they do is, they, you know, you got two vocal cords, and they cut one of the vocal cords and make it where it 
it's not working. And so you just have one vocal cord that's just stationary, and then the other one is the one that vibrates. And it caused my mama's voice to go up about two octaves. Because really? I was used to hearing her talk like this. And, and she called me on the phone, and she said, uh, Ronnie, how are you, Ronnie? <laughs> and I said, who is this? <laughs> she said, I'm your mama. I said, you're not my mama. I know my mama. <laughs> but uh, I guess maybe you knew my mama when she oh, talked yeah. with, with the real high voice. Uh-huh. You might not have known her when she was talking to that real low voice. I remember her talking with the, the shaky voice. Yeah, shaky and, voice. And then when, uh, when, she got, when she got the procedure. Yeah. I used to love going over to her house because yeah. me, me and Wade, which is yeah. uh, your nephew, he, right? He's my nephew. Your nephew. Um, I, we, I used to love going over there because she had the treehouse. And we used to climb up in the treehouse and play. <laughs> yeah. and she had that big yard, and we used to run around. So, yeah. 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 And she always fed me good. Yeah. <laughs> she, she knew how to do that, that's for sure. When I went over to her place, she'd always give us uh, chocolate milk in the little, you know, the little <laughs> the honey bear. Uh, if you get honey and it comes in the little thing shaped like a bear, she, right. she'd <laughs> keep all those. Because she kept everything, you know. So. Yeah, we started this conversation out about music. And yeah. I, I, I kind of got off the whole track there, but but it started with my mama, and uh, she was real. She was a real singer, and she she actually started the choir here at the church. Uh, she didn't know how to read music or anything, so she just typed the words up the songs. Then they'd everybody make up their own part, you know, and so forth. But uh, she would get me up to sing when I was gee, I don't, I guess three or four years old. I, I can't remember not singing, but Mama would get me up and I'd be singing. I remember we used to go to conventions, you know, and uh, the, the guy would get up and say, we have a request here for Ron Nissen to sing a song. <laughs> and uh, Mama. I, I knew it was Mama putting that request in. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I grew up in... I love to sing. I sang all the time. And uh, in the junior high, we had a we had a choir at Jackson Junior High, and uh, I got in the choir there. And it was a woman who was uh, the teacher. And uh, I don't know. I, I remember singing on a talent show. Now I was just in the the eighth grade. And I was singing on the street where you live, you know. I can still remember the words to that song. But uh, then I went to uh, Austin High School, and there was a woman there. She wasn't much of a choir director. But uh, I still loved singing the choir. But I thought all choir directors in schools were women. And that wasn't something that that I wanted to be. But uh, then we got a choir director at Austin High School, his name was Jack Novak, and uh, boy, he was a great guy. He was a Christian guy. His daddy was a pastor of a Baptist church, and he was just a Christian guy, man. And I'm telling you, teachers can have a profound influence on, on their students because of Jack Novak. I decided I wanted to be a high school choir director. Wow. And, uh, and so... You That's on, what I did. I you went, went on from there, went to college for it. Then went to college. Before you know it, you was leading choir and church. and Yeah. Well, actually, I started uh, leading the church choir when I started the college. Okay. Because uh, I decided if 
if I'm going to be a choir director. <laughs> lead a choir. You know, it's true. I, I could take all the, the courses in choir, you know, how to be a choir director and so forth. But until you do it, <laughs> I mean, people can tell you all that. You can read a book about how to play a piano all day long. But until you get down there and do it, you're not going to learn how to do it. Right. And so, uh, yeah, started. Uh, I really took over from my mom. Well, the choir was we didn't have a choir after my mama lost her voice and stuff, but I decided to to start it. And that was, uh, gee whiz, that was in 1960. Wow. 60. This choir has been at our church has been going, what is that, 60? 80, 60 years. Man, that's, uh, yeah, over 60 years yeah. we've had a choir in this church. So you led the choir here. You led the choir at the, the the AG Church, and then the God called you back here, and uh, gave you is the it, pastoral. Is anybody here. interested in all this? I I, <laughs> I can tell you how God called me. Yeah, that's uh, what, yeah. That's what I, I you know I loved being a choir director, a school choir director, and a church choir director, and I was good at it. I, Toot my own horn a little bit here. But <laughs> We're talking about choir oh, too. Uh, but oh. Uh, oh no, that's the wrong one. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my choir is it it at school always did uh, a great job. You know, you go to contests. We always made the the ones and so forth. So and the church choir, uh, our church choir here at Elam Church. Started at Houston Gospel Tabernacle, but I'm going to tell you, we've always had a wonderful, great choir, and uh, so I really, I really love that. But uh, God has a way of changing things. Uh, man, I, I've often said uh, I haven't worked a day in my life because I, I enjoy what I do. But uh, uh, I was at Glenda Park High School, and things just got to where. Ah, uh, well, some of the kids, it was integrated. The two schools were integrated. A lot of kids didn't want to be there. They put kids in choir. They didn't want to be in choir, and it just got to be a, a hassle. And about that time, uh, I was offered a, a full-time job at First Assembly of God Church in Pasadena. I wouldn't even have thought about that uh, it, unless God had kind of caused me not to be too happy at uh, teaching school. And uh, anyway, so I, I took a job at uh, the First Assembly, and and uh, I was there part-time for a couple of years, and then church was growing, and they needed a associate pastor and so forth. And so uh, I quit teaching school and started being a full-time music director, kind of associate pastor, and and uh, I won't go into all the details, but uh, God called me to preach. I, I had three people in one week come up to me and say, God woke me up at midnight last night, told me to tell you that he's calling you to preach. Mm. And uh, that just never happened. And uh, three people, and some of those people are still around today. So that was more than was at your first sermon, though, right? Well, uh, yeah, that was that was before. Well, 
Yeah, that was before my first sermon. Yeah. Because I taught Sunday school and stuff, but I hadn't got a preacher sermon. I remember my first sermon, man. <laughs> you said that's I more pre- people than showed up to the first sermon. I, well, you <laughs> more you people the title? The first, uh, first sermon I preached after God called me and so forth, I preached a sermon on black holes. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> nice. Black holes, you ever thought about it? Where is hell? <laughs> the Bible talks about hell, and the Bible talks about uh, the blackness of darkness forever. But the Bible talks about hell as being a place that's so hot and so forth. And and I got way back then, they were talking about black holes, and I said, man, that sounds like hell to me. <laughs> <laughs> I preached a whole sermon. Could could a black hole be where hell is, you know? Do you, rem- anyway. do you remember uh, the? Uh, do you remember the the, uh, the look on the congregation whenever you? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I preach. You know, uh, a few few months ago here at Elam Church, I preached about two jackasses. You know, and- <laughs> <laughs> we were just, we were talking about your uh, your your message at one time when you said. <laughs> <laughs> old bar needs a good coat of fresh paint or something like yeah. that. Yeah. We were talking about that a couple podcasts ago. Oh, well, you know, Hey man, you know, I, my, my, I have some Pentecostal friends, you know, that don't believe in wearing makeup and so forth. And I, I just said, Hey man, <laughs> old, old Barnes could use a little, little paint. Once in a while. <laughs> Oh, uh, forgive me, Lord. For the record, I kind of defended you. Yeah. So, but, you he know. did defend you. He stopped us in his trap right there. So he said, well, let me defend my grandfather real quick. I got to go on this. Can you listen to those old, old Oh, yeah, for sure. You How know. do you do that? We'll get you hooked up. Yeah, get right. you hooked up. Well, tell us about you coming back to uh, to Elam. Uh, well, uh, God called me to preach and uh, there was a lot of things. I won't go into it. That's a whole other story over at that First Assembly of God Church. Uh, it looked like that uh, I might not have a job, to tell you the truth. And uh, so I was really praying about it, seeking God. That's when God called me to preach. And uh, so <laughs> uh, we were we were actually in a court case because... Uh, the deacons in that church wanted to get rid of the pastor. <laughs> oh, that's a whole story. Hmm. But anyway, uh, uh, I remember I told you three people said God had called me to, to preach, but this is another thing. Uh, a while after that, three different people came with the same story and told me that, that God woke them up. To tell me that uh, he was calling me uh, to be a pastor of a church. I said, well, I knew that. Uh, <laughs> I got to back up a minute, man, because <laughs> when, when the first three people told me that, I didn't want to miss God. I don't want to be a missionary. <laughs> I don't want to. But if God, <laughs> if God told me, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I would do it because I want to be pleasing to God. I want to do what God tells me to do. But uh, I didn't want to miss it. I said, God, these people say I'm going to pastor a church, but I don't know. I don't. Ha- When's that going to happen? How's that? What am I supposed to do? 
So I was I was so worried about it. I I told my wife one night I couldn't sleep. I said, "Listen, I'm going to get up and I'm going to I'm going to just go for a walk and I'm going to I'm going to pray until I get an answer." Here we used to call it praying through. You know, I'm going to pray through and get an answer. I, and uh, we need to do some more of that, probably. Well, mm-hmm. we, we do. I, yeah. I I believe if you get desperate enough, God will mm-hmm. give you the answer. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. But I said, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay out of here until you give me the answer. And I was walking the streets of Deer Park, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning or something. And God gave me the answer. Wow. God said, I am gonna call I am calling you to pastor a church, but I'm telling you now so that you you get ready, because it's gonna happen. And when it happens, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it so clear to you that you can't miss it. Ooh. Well, I never thought in a million years I'd be back to Elam. I, I really didn't, and that's another story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, about six months later, three different people came to me, and they said, uh, God woke me up in the mi- middle of the night and told me you're going to pastor a church. I said, well, I understand that. But what's the difference here with, the, with what he told me before? And they said, well, it, just get ready. It's going to happen real soon. And, and so anyway, uh, I don't know if it was that week or the next week, but uh, Pastor McGee called me. And I didn't really know what all had been going on here at Elam, but boy, it had been a rough time. And uh, I had been gone for seven years. And uh, anyway, he called me and said, you know, I've been praying about it. Church has really gone down, and and we need to pastor. They had an interim pastor here for a year. He was supposed to be here a year, and then if it worked out, he was going to become the pastor after Carol Rector. Well, by the way, that's the same way you did me on the whole you thing. Yeah. You just step in for a little while, and then it was like seven years later, I was still the interim. Where well, you yeah. think you learned that trick from? <laughs> but anyway, uh, anyway, uh, Pastor McGee called me, and we were over there. We did a big Easter pageant. I mean, at least a thousand people wow. showed up. Maybe more than that, because the church would seat about a thousand people, and we did it three nights. I mean, probably we it was packed out. Every it was quite a Easter pageant, and I was right in the middle of that thing. And that's a lot of work. And and I told Pastor McGee, I said, look, I. I I know God's called me to pastor a church. I never dreamed it'd be Elam, but uh, I'm going to pray about it. And uh, after this Easter pageant, I'll let you know. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, boy, that's all I could think about. I mean, that's all I could think about. And But God made it so plain. I, I was. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, I told my wife, you know, I said, you know, Pastor McGee called me and, and and wants to know if I would consider being the pastor of Elam Church. I said, she said, what? <laughs> she never dreamed that that would ever happen. But anyway, uh, so I had talked to them and and I was, uh, you know, First Assembly of God Church had changed its name by then. It was called Cathedral of Faith, but it's not very far from Elam. Over, it was. It's not even there anymore, but it was over here on South Main Street. And uh, so anyway, uh, 
uh, I had talked to Brother McGee, and I I really felt like it was God. And uh, so, but I needed to talk to the pastor of the church. I thought, this is not right. I just didn't think it was right for me to leave that church after I'd been there for six years and then come over here to a church a couple of miles away and and be the pastor. So I th- this is just not right. I, I wouldn't do that to somebody, and I didn't think I should be doing it. So anyway, I my wife, Janet, says, you're going to have to talk to Pastor Harris. You, you're scheduled to preach over next Sunday, you know? And I said, well, I'm going to do it. So I made an appointment to talk to Pastor Harris. And I, I went into his office on a Monday morning. And he said, wait, before you say anything, I'm going to tell you why you're here. I said, because I hadn't told him or anybody. Janet was the only one that knew anything. I said, okay, why am I here? He said, because God's called you to, to pastor a church. Wow. I said, wow, how did you know that? He said, when you were singing at my dad's funeral in Little Rock, Arkansas, six months ago, said, God spoke to me and said, get ready to lose Ron because I'm calling him to pastor church. Wow. And then he said, and I know what church it is. And I said, <laughs> you do? And he called his wife in his office, and he said, uh, uh, Ron's in here. Why do you think Ron's in here? And she said, because God's called him to pastor a church. And he said, what church is it? And she said, it's Elam Church. Wow. And I said, how did you know that? And she said, and they used to live right over here in Mount Vernon, where I'm living now in a, in that neighborhood. And she said, I was driving down Flagstone the other day, and I passed Elam Church, and God spoke to me and said, Ron's going to be the pastor wow. of Elam Church. come on. She knew it before I knew it. Wow. <laughs> and uh, all I can say is that and a lot of other things, but, that's enough. I went home and told my wife all of that, and she said, well, man, it's God. It's God. It's right. God. He's made it so clear you couldn't miss it. Right. So that, that was in 1982. Um, yeah. And then just for, for time's sake, so you, you came into a church that was really kind of on the downside of it, didn't have a whole lot of people left, um, and you kind of built it up over the years, kind of we overextended uh, the our capacity in that building over there. And the Lord just gave you a burden to build a new building, which is where we are right now. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, the Lord's been so good. It's just, you know, we had one acre and we had that built that church in, uh, 1969. I happened to be, a what they call a trustee back then. And God gave me a, a vision. I was so excited about building that church. And, you know, we had the slab and we had the beams, those laminated beams. And I come out here one day and I was standing on that slab with just the beams up. And God showed me a, a church. He actually showed me this church. The church, I, the new church we're in now. This new church. Oh, wow. In the land. In 1960-something? 1969. Wow. But uh, anyway, things happened. God had to get me. God has, you know, even when you don't realize it, God's leading in God's, because uh, I had to, uh, I had to get some things straightened out in my life. I mean, not in my life, but in my thinking. 
because I don't know. I just thought we were a little better than everybody else as far as Christians go. We had the truth. Nobody else had right. it. That kind of stuff. We're saved. We're going to heaven. They might get to heaven, but we're really going mm-hmm. to heaven, that sort of thing. But God really had to get me in a couple other churches. I was in a Baptist church for a year. He wanted to strip you down. Yeah, well, he wanted to let me know Baptist people are good Christian people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might not speak in tongues, but, boy, they got the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah, I, had to, I had to understand that. But if I'm going to pastor a non-denominational church, i got to realize that God's got people in all denominations and so forth. But uh, anyway, uh, a church, when I came over here, the first Sunday we had 30 people. I mean, 70 people on Sunday morning, 30 Sunday night. Didn't have anything on Wednesday nights or anything. Baptistry was used for uh, storage. storage and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason was... The pastor that was here was a hyper-Calvinist. Yep. Whoever's going to be saved is going to be saved. It don't matter what, what you preach or anything else. Uh, you know, God already knows. and So it's kind of like if if you're not one of the elect, just forget it. You're, you're doomed. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I just didn't believe that at all. But the church was just really going through a thing. The pastor, before this interim pastor, uh, his wife had committed suicide. He started drinking, and it, it was a bad it was situation. A tough deal. The church right. just kind of went down. And uh, for the first time in this long history, the church was having trouble paying bills and so forth. So, so I didn't come in with, hey, man, everything is, right. is good. But I knew that I knew God put me here. And uh, God started moving and blessing. And it wasn't too many years before uh, the church was filling it up twice on Sunday morning, it was pretty obvious that we needed uh, more room, you know. Right. So, anyway, I'm talking. I'm doing all That's the right. talking. No, yeah. no. So, so there was, we want to know. Just, just for time's sake. So there was uh, there was some land available over here, but there was some some ground issues or some different things going on in the well, ground. Well, what happened was, you know, back then uh, this area was becoming all Hispanic. Okay? Right. All the Anglo churches was moving out to Fairmount Parkway. And uh, so I didn't want to make a mistake. I didn't want to, you know, I, I, I said, Lord, we need more room, and I don't know if we ought to build here or not. We only had one acre there. And uh, so I went to the bank and talked to a banker and so forth. He said, wouldn't lend me any money here uh, in this location said, you can go out to Fairmont Parkway, but said, you're not going to make it there because that's all going to be all Hispanic and you're an Anglo church and all this stuff. So you need to move. If you don't move, we ain't giving you no money and stuff. And so I really I really started praying about it. And uh, I don't say this lightly. Some people, God speaks to them about where to eat lunch and everything, but I, I don't. God hadn't spoke to me. Uh, you know, some things you just use common sense on, but... There's some things you really need to hear from God. And I remember uh, God speaking in my heart. And uh, God said, uh, you know, he told me about the parable of, of the, the feast, you know. God says, uh, the man's going to offer a big feast. And he went to all the 
nice folks and educated folks and people with money and all that kind of stuff. And, and everybody made them excuse they couldn't come. So he sent the servants back out and said, uh, just invite everybody to come. And, and uh, so they went out and a lot of people came, but still there was room. You remember that parable? It says, go back and compel them to come in. Go to the highways and byways. Get them all to come in. I want my house to be full. God showed me a, a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. And uh, he said, How did, what was Jesus like when he was hanging on the cross? And I looked at the, the Gospels, and every one of them had some passionate words uh, about Joseph of Arimathea. One said he craved for the body of Jesus. Mm. One said he, he desired the body of Jesus and so forth. And, and, and the Lord said to me, what was the body of Jesus like? Well, the Bible said it was so marred he was unrecognizable. He was just a piece of just flesh. It was been beaten unrecognizably and so forth. And he said, uh, the body of Christ today is like the body of Jesus hanging on the cross. It's bruised and it's beaten and it's bleeding and it's so forth and everybody's moving away. Come on. He said, I want you right where you are because that's where people, there are people there that need a church like Elam Church that will welcome everybody, that'll minister to people that nobody else wants. And um, I came back and I, I preached that message to our church. So God wants us to stay right here. But he wants us to open this church to everybody. That time we had a couple of Hispanic folks, but mostly an Anglo church. And I remember one old gal, she, after I preached that message, she came to me and says, there's too many Mexicans around here in this church. I said, don't let that door hit you in the rear end on the way out. <laughs> We're doing what God calls us to do. Right. And he said, there's no, you know, Jew or Greek, male or female and we're all one. We're called Christians. And uh, that was all that time ago. But I'm telling you, God has been faithful. Right. You guys know that. God has been faithful. We've been, we welcome whoever. I was here last night. Guy come, showed up at the prayer meeting, said, I just got out of prison. And uh, so I just got my ankle bracelet off yesterday, and I'm here at church. Wow. I said, man, you're welcome here. We got them all here. We, this is where you need to be, man. Elam is a, a place for people that, that just need God. And right. don't we all need God? Oh, yeah. yeah. We were just talking about on a previous podcast how the church is supposed to look like the community. Yeah. You know, so if the community is a Hispanic community, the church needs to look like yeah. that. You know, if it's mixed, it needs to look like that. Hey. And that's exactly what you did in uh you know, I think there's uh, many, many souls that one day are going to uh, come up to you in heaven just like they were in Anchorage, Alaska, <laughs> or Israel, and say, thank you, Pastor Ron, for, uh, for, for doing what God had called you to do and listening to him throughout the years. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, I really do love people. I think if you're going to be a pastor, you got to love people. got to love people that other people don't love. That's right. And uh, I've seen so many churches around here. My sister used to be the 
uh, organist down here at Methodist Church, just down the street from us here. And uh, they just wouldn't welcome anybody else. There's a bunch of Anglo folks, and as they got older and older, it, it finally they, they started dying off, and there, there wasn't 15, 20 people. I mean, a big, beautiful, huge, yeah. nice building down there, but no people. You got to reach out to people, man. We're just people. Right. I found that out a long time ago. It don't matter what color your skin is. We all are just the same. Yeah. We just need Jesus. Amen. My my uncle went to uh he went to Uncle Steve. He went to yeah. uh, church and he he was preaching for him. He would go over there every once in a while. And it, it, it was a, it wasn't a white church. And uh, yeah. one of the deacons pulled him aside. He goes, he said, Brother Steve. He says, uh, we like you visiting, but but you can't stay. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. Uh, yeah. uh, so before we wrap this up, listen, I know you're writing a book. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the book you're writing. Oh, it's just for my family, really. <laughs> yeah, but I think I'm, more- I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, writing a lot of experiences. I had a lot of funny experiences. I like to laugh at myself. Tell us, Tell us a good story from the book. A good story from the book. Well, gee whiz, everybody's heard all my stories, I think. <laughs> well, this is going to Russia. Yeah, you, so, this is going yeah. to Russia. You got people oh, in Russia. Russia, Russia. okay. <laughs> well, let me tell you about my mom and a fishing trip. The, I knew it was going to be a fishing trip. <laughs> Half of his story has got to be fishing stories, right? I, uh, I, you know, I loved fish. I started fishing when I was just a kid. My daddy loved to fish. He went fishing every weekend. And then the summertime, he'd get two or three weeks vacation. We'd go to Matagorda and we'd fish. Oh, I love going out there. And uh, anyway, my Dale, my my brother Dale, he he's a great fisherman. He loved to fish, and and we learned to fish. Fish. So anyway, I've always had a boat, and uh, took my mama down to Galveston. Uh, oh, years ago, I started getting these skin cancers from being in the sun too much. I got that kind of skin, you know. So uh, I decided, well, I can't go fishing anymore. But I went to, well, actually to go get an alternator changed on, on my car, and I saw this boat out in the guy's uh, parking lot. And I said, you're a fisherman? He said, yeah, man. He said, we caught a hundred trout last night i said a hundred trout are you kidding i ain't caught a hundred trout in years what are you doing he said well i got a generator and i got these train lights and we go down there to see we'll park and uh, i said we crank that generator up and put those lights out there and them trout just come we use spec rigs and we just catch them man well, I couldn't wait. I, I I came back and I got me a generator. I went and got me four train lights. You know, those are 30 watts a piece. So you got to put them up and hook them up in series so you get 120 volts. Get that generator, hook that thing up the next week, man. It might have been that night. I don't know. I was at Seawolf Park with my spec rigs, and I was catching those Man, we caught 200 <laughs> sand trout. You can't get Now, come on, everybody on here, you know there's a, there's a limit on speckled trout. These were sand trout. No limit on sand trout. Facts. Few speckled trout. Anyway, I told my mama about it. Boy, she couldn't wait. My mama loved to fish. She loved to fish. So we're down there, and we're fishing at 
Seawolf Park with the lights. You know, a generator making a lot of noise. And you got that ferry that comes by every, every 30 minutes or so. So she's fishing in the front of the boat. I'm fishing in the back of the boat. And here comes the ferry, and the boat starts rocking. And for some reason, my mama was trying to get around the center console of my boat. And when that wave came, the boat started rocking. She grabbed a hold of the poles where those lights were, and she started hollering. <laughs> she said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm thinking she's getting electrocuted. I know more. Going. I know more now that she couldn't get electrocuted holding on a PVC pipe. But <laughs> hey, in a split second, what are you gonna do? My eighty-year-old mama is getting electrocuted, and I'm thinking I'm, she's gonna die right here in your boat, in my boat, and it's gonna be my fault. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what am I gonna do? And then I thought about, well, if you just kind of gently pull her off of that pole. Uh, we're both going to get electrocuted. <laughs> and then in my brilliance, I said, uh, you know, I'm going to have to knock her off that pole. That's right. And so I took a running leap, and I knocked my 80-year-old mama off that pole. And uh, she fell right down in the boat. She tripped over my my tackle box, which was sitting there in, in the bottom of the boat. She fell down on her back. And I fell down right on top of her, trying to keep her from falling. Saving too, her, too saving hard. her life. I was trying to save her life. <laughs> and uh, I've never, my mom had little bitty eyes. And, uh, but I, I've never seen her eyes get so big in all of her life. They were like saucers. And I'm, I'm, I'm right, you know, look, my eye to eye, nose to nose, right on top of her. And she looked up at me and she said, have you lost your ever-loving mind? What has gotten into you, boy? You're trying to kill me? What's going on? All right. Mama, I tried to save your life. You was getting electrocuted. <laughs> she said, I wasn't getting electrocuted. I, I just was trying to steady myself from that wave that shook this boat. I said, oh, no. I, t I thought she trying to you getting electrocuted. <laughs> Mama, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I, I was trying to help you. That's funny. And she thought I was some kind of nut, you know. <laughs> I got a quick fishing story. So <laughs> we, we were down there uh, in Lufkin. Uh, my Aunt Faye, your cousin, yeah. they had a place down there where my right. my uncle bought, bought the property right next to him. Right. And uh, so uh, they kind of owned just this little group of land right there where right behind their trailers was a little, like a... a a little river or whatever that was coming down. And we used to go down there with cane poles. Absolutely. I've been there many times. Many times. So, and Faye, she came out of the UPC church, right? Mm -hmm. So she had, she wore a bun, you know, and it was kind of like the Simpsons. <laughs> sucker, the over, beehive. Over the years, it got up there, you uh -huh. know, two feet tall type, uh -huh. type deal, you know. My cousin, I can remember, uh, I'd go to their house and, and uh, they would have her hair, brushing her hair over the three-seater couch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so we're down there with cane poles and uh, my sister decides that she was going to cast a cane pole. If you know anything <laughs> about cane poles, you just drop it in the water, right? Mm -hmm. And we're catching these little perch. Well, my sister decides to cast this cane pole. She whips that sucker back. And it gets hung at something, so she's pulling on it, and all I hear, next thing I hear is Aunt Faye, 
Carrie, wait, wait! <laughs> and she was pulling that that beehive right off the top of Aunt Faye's head. Oh, that's oh, funny. Oh man, she didn't look back to see what she hit. No, you know when you're a kid, you don't. You just keep pulling. You just, hey, when you're a kid, you cast a cane pole. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But that was that's one. That, that was one of the the greatest things uh, uh, that I can remember yeah. going down. You know. There. Uh, my mama bought one of those lots. You know, Jabbo's the one. Yeah, she bought one right on the other side yeah, of the woods. Yeah, and uh, Aunt Lowly bought the one next, next to, to her. Next yeah. And he bought one. Yeah, Jabbo sold all those lots. <laughs> <laughs> then he moved. <laughs> yeah, you have uh, fishing enough time, you're going to get hooked. Yes. So, <laughs> so, James, you know, tell me a little story, uh, something about, you know, your grandfather that you, you remember, maybe going one of these trips with them or... A, Oh or a story gosh. that you have. I know there's a bunch of them. I try to there's, pull something out. There's quick. so many that nothing sticks out. <laughs> if that says anything to you, I could tell you if it would be easier for you to say pick a trip and then say tell me a story about that one, and then there'd still probably be three or four. That's funny. In that one though, no, I mean I've done so many. We've done we've gone on so many trips and done and had. My family, a lot of people, they joke about, like, there's a curse, the Nissen curse or whatever, because <laughs> my family has a, a history of going on trips and everything breaking down and falling <laughs> apart every time. There's always something that goes wrong on every trip. And uh, I think there's actually something to it. I don't know why, but... Well, I definitely think it went from your grandfather to your father, you know, because he, he the same things happen to him. Like, yeah. If it's in a boat or if it's in a Jeep in the mountains of Colorado yeah. or... Or, or something. That doesn't yeah. happen to me near as much. I'm the opposite, where if you're with me, even if things go wrong, you're going to be fine because you're with James. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if I go anywhere with them, something's going wrong for sure. Well, ben good. caught that. Yeah, yeah, Ben caught ben that. Caught I, it, yeah. I somehow put – I think I pushed it off and put it on Ben. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Pastor Ron, yeah. thank you so much. Again, you're you're one of my living heroes, and <laughs> and I love you. I know everybody at this uh, this this desk here. Just you mean a um, lot too. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And yeah, th- definitely. Thanks for coming on. And and you say nobody wants to hear this, but this is going to be one of those things that's going to be around forever. <laughs> and uh, people are definitely going. They like to hear your voice and hear hear uh, your stories and right, stuff. Right. I appreciate y'all inviting me in here. I yeah. didn't know exactly. I didn't know what we were going to talk about. But, you know, I like to talk. So. Well, we like to have people that talk. <laughs> you know, and, and my, my my favorite thing about this episode really is that these stories are so genuine, and the, the content. I mean, it takes a lifetime to acquire this. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, us, we're just you know, we're 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 new to to podcasting and all that, but yet the the yeah. quality that's coming out, especially this episode. I mean, it's just. Uh, I mean, you feel God in this. Oh, for sure. Maybe I ought to sell that book. I got all those stories in I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Well, let me read it, and then we're going to get you hooked up with the publisher. Yeah. Pastor, thank you for your service and everything you do. We love you. This is The Refuge Project.